Hey everybody, it's Lance Dawson. I'm here with another episode of Backstage Lowdown. This week, Andrew and I are in studio with Coral Andrews. She has been a local radio DJ here in KW for many years, but more importantly, she is the author of The Back Door. The Back Door was a tavern, a bar, a place, and if you were into punk rock in the 70s when it reached the shores of North America, then this episode is going to be really interesting for you. Coral Andrews is very interesting, as a matter of fact, and Andrew and I had a lot of fun chatting with her and hearing all about some memories of her days at the back door and how much fun and how raucous that uh, bar was. So anyway, stay tuned. Here we go. Hey, dude. Hey, man. How's How's it going? Good, you? Good, good, good. I, um, yeah. Yeah. You're looking forward to this? Should be fun. Should be a good time. Good way to spend Um, the afternoon. Yeah, there you go. Others are watching Super Bowl, but uh, well, we're not going to be here till six thirty at night, my friend. Is that when it starts? I don't. Yeah. I don't even know. No. Yeah, yeah. Used to be an afternoon game. Like it was a lot of fun. I used to have Super Bowl parties in the in the university days, and yeah, you know, we'd make chili all weekend, and uh, yeah, the 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 game was like three in the afternoon. People come over. It was a lot of fun. Lots you know? of meat. And, yeah, and now it's a, <laughs> a lot of meat. And then uh, at six thirty at night, when it, yeah, you know, I mean, I don't know. It's just different, right? Yeah, exactly. You're ready for your uh, after after dinner nap. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm not that old, man. Come on. Um, (laughs) Hey, nice, uh, nicely quaffed beard, buddy. I haven't seen like that's yeah. Yeah, I trimmed it down uh, the other night. I almost did it again before the show. I just ran out of time. Well, I don't know what it is, but you look like you're like 15 pounds leaner. Well. I've been, I've been, you know, working out. Yeah. Buying clothes tighter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's all. That's really what it comes down to. Just, <laughs> I'm wearing tighter clothes. Yeah. Why work out if you could just wear tight clothes from exactly. the children's section? You know? <laughs> um, Andrew, I think you're wearing your son's pants right now. Yeah. How can you tell? I don't know. I'll tell you this, my, my son used to steal all my clothes. He was coming in, like he was just still, I, I go to my closet to grab a pair of jeans. Or it's just gone. It's gone. Well, and you know what? At least that shirts. tells you you're wearing cool clothes. If your, your yeah. teenage son wanted to wear it. Yeah. Uh, that was the take that my wife had on it. So right. my, my point was where the hell is my shirt? Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> But now, now he's all he's all jacked and and working out and stuff. And he's now like he's six two. So uh, I think yeah. I think those days might be done. Just Which just is, a little. I'm okay with that. Yeah, yeah. I don't know that I was at had cool clothes as much as I had just clothes that never either went out of fashion or came into fashion because it's hard to <laughs> it's go really. Wrong. It's yeah. It, it's a fine line. It is. It's hard to go wrong with the t shirt and jeans and a flannel, and I'm out the door. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I remember a friend of mine. Very popular from the grunge days. Yeah. Yeah. A friend of mine years ago, and she does listen to this uh, podcast once in a while. Um, But I remember her saying to me, it's not that you look bad, but what is the deal with you and flannel? (laughs) (laughs) Apparently I was wearing a lot. I just flannel every day. just, Just like flannel. Yeah, I tried but to explain as it's, it's like never getting out of bed. That's the deal. I mean, yeah, right? I mean, quite honestly, though, at least she didn't say what's the deal with the same flannel shirt. Oh, so at yeah, least yeah, you're yeah. wearing different, different sure. flannel. 
It's not the same one every day. You just happen to have one for every day of the week. That's true. At least one or two weeks. It's a sad addiction. It's uh, (laughs) but it holds a hell of a lot cheaper than buying guitars. So, you know, yeah, Yeah, exactly. This is my uh, red flannel section. This is my blue flannel section. Yeah. My browns. Yeah. There you go. That's my little shout out for the autumn. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. My shout out was to Deirdre Large. She uh, she pointed okay. out back in the day. Yeah, thanks, Deirdre. There oh, there's go. Coral. Hi. That'll be the hey, hey, how's it going, Coral? I'm good. Hey. Hi, Coral. How are you? I'm I'm good. I appreciate you doing the show. Oh, this is you know this is great. Actually, I was just I I was listening to the podcast that you did with Betty Ann Keller about Rock This Town, right. um, which was. Amazing. And she made a lot of great points too, you know? So I yeah. love the fact yeah. that she did the Ford for your book. Um, yeah. I didn't realize I, that she had, and had I known that I actually would have just sent you the clip of, of her show beforehand. But so I, uh, I thought it was pretty cool that, that she had taken the time to do that for you. Oh yeah. I just asked her, you know, I just, um, she was at the cottage or something like that, making um, ribs or some sort of food anyway. And yeah. I, I just had this revelation. I go, Betty, do you want to write the forward for my book? And she went, oh my God, do I? I've got it in the back of my head. And I went, oh, oh my God. I've this, already started started writing it. This yeah. is awesome. Like this is, you know, so cool. sound alike i think if we played the audio you two sound alike if i recall correctly if you if i put the audio up of you and betty ann together yeah maybe couldn't tell the difference well i i love that i like that uh it's kind of gone full circle so yeah congratulations on on getting that book and getting betty Betty ann to do the forward um andrew and i just had a conversation last week about how we're i just a little more dedicated i think with with the podcast it started out to be just a sort of exercise of uh futility and humility for for andrew and i uh but just to just to really focus on kw and all the amazing people that are here and they're creating amazing things and you're part of that and betty ann is certainly part of that uh so we're really happy to have you here coral oh it's my pleasure knowing uh, i guess it was pete fowler yeah who put us together he's like my brother in music yeah, <laughs> for a long, long time. We used, to do a, we used to do a late night show at CKWR. Yeah, um, and uh, yeah, another guy with him too. But it kind of—I was the foil. Whenever I'm doing a show with him, I'm always the foil. You know, it's like, ah, okay. Um, uh, and so I went. You know what, you guys, you you guys keep doing the show, and I'm gonna just not do shows at midnight anymore on a Friday night. <laughs> <laughs> I'm exhausted because I have two other jobs. And yeah. they they um they did the show for a while and then um they had to give up the time slot, so then I took it back. <laughs> nice. So Pete you're said, actually live at midnight? You're yeah. live on at midnight, it wasn't pre-recorded. 
Oh no, it wasn't pre-recorded. We were live, you know. So wow. it was after midnight. So anything goes. Anything went. Yes. It kind of reminded me of Seinfeld. You know, I kind of remember. I kind of. I kind of felt like Elaine at times. Like, oh man, you guys. Like, oh god, it was so funny. Just and anything Pete, could come out. Yeah, and then during the pandemic, Pete and I decided um, to kind of keep the home fires burning and co-host the midday show together. Um, nice. because it was such a weird time, you know, and we were essential services. So we had to do radio. We, you know, yeah. we couldn't stay home and do everything that everybody else was doing. We had to work. So yeah, we were a long time pals. So I was really happy when he I went, Oh, this is cool. And then I looked at some of the other guests you had, like Blair Packham. I thought that guy's a you know, that guy's awesome too. So yeah. just, I'm happy to be here. Yeah. No, yeah. um Pete has really been uh one of those guys who's really helped continue to find us new guests and kind of put us all together he's oh what what was that old uh saying uh what like seven degrees or nine degrees of uh six degrees of separation yes it's a reference to kevin bacon yeah that's not that old you could say that Pete's like the kevin bacon of radio sort of he puts a lot of people together (laughs) He, he knows everybody yeah and brought a lot of a uh, lot of the guests to us and if if it didn't come directly from him it came from the guest that he had introduced us to so oh cool it's, yeah uh, we, we like pete i got a question for you coral we got to get talking about about you our... uh, just and and just your relationship with pete kind of works into that but how did music become such an integral part of your life because you so for those who don't know coral's just released a book called the back door which is largely about this amazing bar out of kw back in the day the day mm-hmm. being sort of 70s 80s and and bleeding into the 90s a bit yeah. um so first of all I, I i'm gonna get back to my question i just got to tell you i'm really uh, i just met you but i'm very impressed because everybody in the world talks about Oh, I could write a book. I'd love a write. I've got a book in me. Everybody talks about it. One uh, percent, less than one percent, actually put pen to paper. So the fact yeah. that you did this is incredible. The fact that it's published and in a book and looks like this is is awesome. So congratulations on that. Back to my question: How did music become such an integral part of your life? Like, where was? How did it all happen? Uh, my parents are English, and so when I was a kid, I was listening to soundtracks from Exodus, My Fair Lady. Um, and they were also into Beyond the Fringe, the Goons, all that kind of stuff. So I had a British sensibility growing up. And then we moved to Belfast. My dad was an engineer and we we're living in Belfast in the sixties. And I actually saw the Beatles in Newtown Brita at the Supermac at the opening, like the, the, the front of the store. Wow. My dad goes, don't you remember seeing the Beatles? I went, no dad, I was seven. <laughs> I had this big- <laughs> Uh, this big Beatles badge. And I thought, holy crap. Um, and then my brother and I, we, we were you know, watching Top of the Pops and Thank You Lucky Stars and Ready, Steady, Go and all this stuff. And um, I, I got into it. I got into music at a really young age. Um, yeah, but it started with seeing the Beatles in in, um, in Belfast. <laughs> my That's dad awesome. goes, don't forget yeah, to no, tell a lot. And I'm not like, too many people can uh, tell that as their, as their start in the music. Not, not really. certainly not their their first band of you know the one that you were in charge of going to see not introduced to you by your parents but so when you watched the beatles i don't want to make this interview about the beatles but when you saw the beatles did you have a sense that wow this is completely different than anything else i've ever seen or heard before did you yeah i was crazy about that? john Lennon. my yeah. god 
And um, I, you know, they, this is before they broke in North America, you know, it's like that. The anniversary of their invasion was last week. Interesting. Right. Um, and I have a John Lennon, you can't see, but I have a John Lennon walking on the water lithograph on one wall in my place. And I have a John Lennon from Abbey Road on the roof on the other wall. So I'm a huge Lennon fan. And I, you know, I got into the Beatles and then, um, and then the Stones and the Kinks and then the Who. And then there was this, as I got older, there was this, I started interviewing these bands because they came to Lulu, some of them like Jerry and the Pacemakers and Herman's Hermits. Right. And um, uh, who was it? Oh, the Trox. So Reg Presley, he's gone now, um, was talking about the British, like the Southern bands and the Northern bands and how the Northern bands were so sucky, you know, and how the Southern bands were so cool, like the Trogs and the Who and the pretty things. And I'm like, oh, okay, I didn't know that. Um, so I really, I really got into it. I really got into British music. Um, yeah. I didn't hear anything about the Clash in that list. Well, the <laughs> Clash, uh, this is when I was younger, right? Yeah. Yeah, right. exactly. I got into the well, yeah, I got into that in around 1977 because I was in the Yala White. And I'm like, where the hell is this music coming from? Because I'm hearing Donna Summer. I feel loved. It was a huge <laughs> freaking hit. It was all over BBC. And then my my cousin, my cousin's pal was saying, talking about the sex pills, like, oh, who the hell are they? And it's like, God oh, save the Queen, and Queen in the UK and the Clash and Susie and the Banshee's like, well, where the hell is this coming from? Well, they're a band. They were banned on TV, right? They couldn't. So we'd hear it in the pubs, and it was you'd hear it in the underground. And then over over there, like over there, like the England was in a mess, right? It was in a political yeah. toilet, and so the the youth were upset. Like it's like we got there's no jobs. So as I mentioned in the first chapter, I'm talking to Billy Duffy and the Cults all these years later at the Lowesbury Lowes Lowes Westbury Hotel downtown, just before they opened for. Guns and Roses, the Guns and Roses opened them for Super at Super Skate Seven, that legendary show. <laughs> and it's going back in the day, like if you were in a band, you're on the dole. Um, because there was yeah. nothing else. There was fuck all we can use the F word, right? There was fuck yeah, all you're else good. to do. Like friggin' yeah, yeah. in the regular, there was fuck all else to do, right? You're either in a band, yeah. you're on the dole, and that is it. Um, so and all these bands in the clash were very political. Um and people really got into it over there because of the political statement. And then it came over here and it became something entirely different. It was about fashion and about the music and about the trends. It wasn't really about politics because these guys coming down to the back door, I'm sorry. I don't think they had anything political to worry about. Um, they might have had screwed up childhoods or whatever. The element that came down used to trash the washrooms. But I, there wasn't really a political thing going on, as a lot of the people right. I interviewed said. It was more like fashion. It was about the clothes and the style and the music, you know. Yeah. So it was kind so of less neat. rebellious, less Much. about rebellion. Well, yeah. sort of. These people work during the week, and then on the weekends, they're like, "I'm turning into Sid Vicious, or I'm turning <laughs> into the guy from Duran Duran, you know, Simon Le Bon, or I'm turning into like I used to do." Well, every day of my life was like Halloween at one point. So I would dress as Lena Lovitch or Kate Bush or Toya or whoever I felt like dressing as when I DJed downstairs on Monday nights. So You're like the uh, the original cosplayer, but just with, with music instead of like the kids dressing <laughs> up like their favorite anime characters. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You yeah. were dressing up as your favorite rock stars. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I anyway, I did a you know I did the specials night where my my uh, the the people I worked for Milan and Carla they went okay this is a little bit beyond the pale so I came in and my face was black and white checkers 
like one, it was like black, it was reverse checkers on one side. So one side was white on black, the other side was black on white. And I had this Homber hat and this men's suit. And my boss kind of went, what the hell are you doing? Like, my God. I said, it's specials night downtown, that downstairs. Yes, it is. So I dressed, you know, I dressed like, a lot I dressed like that. That's a lot of effort and commitment. You're not going yeah. to do That's not a five second makeup job. I like ska, but. I had people <laughs> helping me to do this. It wasn't just me by myself. It's like, you want to do this? I can do your makeup for that. I'm like, okay, you need great. a team around you for that. Yeah, I did. Nice. That's an interesting observation, though. Like, I think rock and roll more so than maybe any other genre is certainly um, highly connected to fashion, highly connected to yes. a look and, a, you know, an attitude, that sort of thing. Yeah, so. for sure. Like these people were reading, you know, New Music Express and then much music came out in mm -hmm. the mid 80s. So all the videos. So people were getting their fashion ideas from videos as well. So it was it was pretty right. cool. And then making up that and doing their own thing, too, because we had all these cool thrift shops, uh, shops here in town. And people would go, oh, yeah, I got this vintage dress with these cool shoes. I'm going to crimp my hair. And, and it was, uh, yeah, it was really cool. We were like this, I, I call us the Studio 54 of Kitchener at one point. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I, I actually got that from reading the book. I was going to make that comparison. It's definitely a Studio 54 kind of thing. So um, now, so North Sh Shaman, North Shaman, one of those two people. Uh, uh, made yes. Okay, so he made this really interesting comment about you, and I loved uh, just the way you uh, said. Uh, he just appreciated your weird and beautiful attitude towards reality. So there's a oh, few that's things the that preference. I read. That's that's not yeah. me. That's, that's Pat. That's Patrick Y. He's the guy that took the the uh, he did the, he wrote the preface. Right. And um, he's talking about his friend Phil Lodgson that passed away. So that is Pat. Um, I thought they were referring to you, and I was no, not me. Oh, okay. Because I was I I read this book in a very weird way. I was kind of bouncing. I didn't read it in a linear pattern, so I was going back and forth. Oh, and, okay. Uh, and just different. you know, because there were just so many uh, different points that you were making about the bar and the attitude, and you know, the musicians that were coming through, and then there were yeah. people that didn't like the the punk scene. There were rockers, and they were causing all sorts of shit. And oh, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. this this seemed yeah. to be like a highly like it's just a lot of personality. Oh God. Bar, right? I mean, um, I couldn't have done the book without Patrick. He's, he did a lot of the black and white photography through that book. Uh, not too many people were taking pictures down there, but Patrick was. So he's kind of documenting the scene. That's what he does. And actually he's right. down in Mexico right now or something like that. Um, and I, I said, I want to do this book on that back door. Like if my, my boss's son suggested this. Cause I was going to write an interview book. I wasn't going to do a book on the back door. And he said, no, I say, Hey, Mike or Misha, he's known as DJ check. So he's, you know, he comes to Canada every once in a while, he'll do a gig in Toronto. He's opened up for Daft Punk and chemical brothers and all these people. But he started downstairs watching me and my pal, Kevin DJ. That's where he got his start. So I go, Hey, Mike, I'm going to, cause I'm a journalist, right? I've been writing for years. And I That's said, your oh. background. Yeah, I gotta. I gotta. It'll write be easier book. for you to to do that book, um, yeah. based on music interviews, than to write about the back door. Well, it was all kinds of celebrity interviews, and he goes, "No, no, no, you can't write a book like that. There's only one book you can write, or I write about the fucking back door." And I went, "What?" <laughs> so then I thought about it, and I thought, you know what? There's Facebook, so maybe I can find these people, and. Um, I got Patrick and all those pictures that he took. 
So I said, Pat, what pictures do you have in the back door? He goes, oh, I can send you a whole bunch of images. And I went, okay, this is coming together. And then I applied for a grant. I go, okay, this is going to happen. So then I spent the next little while finding all these people to interview. Um, so it, um, yeah, it wasn't the book I intended to write, but I'm glad I, you know, I'm glad I wrote it because it's a special place in time. Um, it can't be repeated. No, it's not. It can never be repeated because you don't have the same character, the same cast of characters. So it was, a, it was a, it was a, it was a, you know. Special. Well, I think it's something that's very unique to the city and oh, to yeah. have essentially a public record of it now. Yeah. Um, is, is great for, for uh, people in the future to look back on and for those that were living, living in it and were part of the back door for them to reminisce. Like when yeah. I came out uh, to your book opening and maybe <laughs> I have to set the stage for this. So I walk into the building, there's a DJ spinning over at one, uh, one side, there's a bar that's open in the other. I'm in a huge line to get my copy of the book then I walk into a stadium theater that was absolutely full. If it wasn't sold out, it was very close to being it, sold it out. It was sold out and then some. I had for two days, I had about 50 to 60 people going, I like I saw people, they were all down the sides of oh, yeah, uh, it was everywhere. The and um, the guy spinning records, okay, yeah. we had Brando Vondino with him, and Brando is a young guy who actually does DJing for a living. And the other guy was a DJ at the back door, Kevin Diebold. And he has a record store in town called C Music. But he he was a big part of the back door and right from the right from disco days. So I thought maybe I can get Kevin a DJ. Sure enough, uh I got I got him and I thought, well who can I who's who's got DJ equipment? Because that like nobody like sure, like everybody's really expensive, right? And I thought, oh, exactly. I've got two turntables and a microphone beside <laughs> behind me, but it's like, yeah, you know what? I don't want to unplug all this crap. And Kevin had stuff at the video store too, but Brando, he does it for a living, so he goes, I can bring all my gear over. We can set it up, the speakers, and, and it was perfect. And Kevin was playing the music from the back door. It was awesome. It worked out really well. Yeah, I think uh, Kevin came and sat down right beside me just before okay. the, the show started but i mean <laughs> like you just took all of these kids from so many years ago and they all grew up and it was just this room full of cool quite honestly yeah. i wasn't sure that i was oh, yeah. cool enough to be there oh, quite God. honestly <laughs> I, I think we i think we can answer that andrew um, um yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> we could try to come up with a nickname for you though like dj Shack or whatever if you need you need something to cool you up there yeah well everybody knew right. uh milan's son milan's milan Rezilek. he's the guy that owned the um the metro on the back door yeah and everybody knew his son is czech and you know mike got any music at his early age too because he was hanging out with kevin and kevin gave him a job at a record store and then he you know got into he got into um rave and hip-hop and then he's like well you have a show on ckwr and can i come be a guest and i went well, you're not going to learn anything over on the other side of the studio. Get your ass over here, sit beside me and learn the board. Next thing you know, Mike and his friend, um, I want to—I think it's Jody Bushland. Anyway, they had the first hip hop show around the, like around the region. It was called the Backdoor Boulevard. And it was on Monday nights and they were supposed to go from 12 to three and they went from midnight to six. <laughs> so he got his, he, he got his radio chops 
And then he got into doing live DJ gigs. So I'm really proud of him. You know, I'm very proud of him. He's still doing it all these years later, every once in a while, not so much because he's in fraud now and he's got another business, but still. Um, And that's, I I didn't want to see who was on the list that was coming. Um, I thought, what if so-and-so is here? Like, well, I wrote about them in the book. Oh crap. You know? (laughs) What what Uh, did I actually write about them? Well, I couldn't not write about the cattle ranchers. I'm sorry. They came down and trashed the washrooms. I don't, I don't know how many times, but if you've read the book, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. that was bad. Like, I don't understand why people would do that. Or I didn't get that either. That I didn't because understand it was, the level know, the of animosity. I think. It was destroyed. Yeah. Da, 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 all that shit. But all this that is the place that you come weekly to hang out at and yeah. uh, decide to you know, rip out the sinks, the toilets. Oh yeah, it was whatever. Terrible. You know, and the, the the one night there, we had a mannequin chained to the poor Bob, the mannequin. She was not as wide, but we named her Bob because one of the guys involved with the bar, the second half of the back door, was afraid of mannequins. So they thought if we nickname it Bob, maybe that's better, and he won't be so scared of it anymore. Anyway, poor Bob was chained to the chained to the pillar stoically, like Joan of Arc, and uh, all the two inches of water towards like it went as far as as far as where she was chained to the pillar two inches of water in that carpet and it stunk because you know it was the toilets backing up yeah so So you've got a couple of the mannequins now though from the the club yeah i do they're right here in the corner (laughs) i love that there's one uh i don't know if i can i don't know how to find hold on that's let me see if i can do this hold on a second i'll show you Edie. she's here can you see her? I don't know if you can. Oh, that's the other way. Okay. There's Oh, there she is. You see her? <laughs> oh yeah. There we go. There's Edie right there in the corner. Nice. And uh, I got I uh, love them. Leggies right here. I don't know if you can I don't know if you can see her or not. I don't I don't, I don't think you can. No. She's on, the other, she's on the other side anyway. She's the legs that were down there. So yeah, I kept them. I got That's really cool right though that, that you ended up with them. Yep. I uh, actually I lost Leggy for a while. I gave her away, and then she came back to me for a birthday. <laughs> my my friend that's in the book, um, she was coming down there in the eighties, and she goes, "Well, I gave it to my niece, and she really didn't know what to do with Leggy, so I thought I would give her back to you for your birthday." And um, Leggy is wearing um, a mini kilt and stockings and a feather boa. Well, she's a tourist, so yeah, she's pretty cool. And she's no got head. too. So, you know, I'm still doing the, I'm still doing the squeaky subversive thing in my front room. So, oh, that's wicked. <laughs> so, I'm curious about um, your MC for the evening, how you know him, oh. and how you uh, ended up with your opening act. This is at the book launch you're talking. This about, is at right? the book launch Just for yeah. our nine listeners, keeping them in. Right, right. got it. Uh, Circle Lindsay, back, Lindsay Stewart used to be part of the poetry nights he's also a very talented musician so he was a band with a band called called uh torso column and so i remember him i'm seeing the poetry nights and we had we had four words unspoken and when four words unspoken kind of folded Lindsay took over doing poetry nights around the area and then Lindsay and i worked together on the coffee house poets and then I put together a multimedia poetry night, spoken word, kind of like the launch. 
uh, spoken word, vision, sound, all this kind of stuff called Dangerous Visions. So I went, Lindsay, I'm doing this show. Like if the if the registry theater is offering me a space to do a book launch, it's in a theater. So I'm not going to just stand there reading a book because how right. boring is that? Let's do a show. Let's put on a show. So I thought if I'm going to do a show, I need Lindsay and I need Scott. Um, so I like Lindsay said, he, I'm in right away. So I knew he would be a great MC. <laughs> and then Scott, Scott Wiccan was also part of the Poetry Nights. He did some of his first readings down there. And he's still going all these years later. So I go, Scott, I'm doing this thing at the Registry Theater. I need you to do a spoken word piece and, you know, a, a one piece of music. And he goes, I'm in. And he did one of my favorite pieces, which is Vampire. So that was cool. I I didn't know yeah. what he was going to do. So that was a nice surprise when I was standing on the wing. So, yeah. No, he's uh, he's a really unique dude. I, and I love yeah. his voice. I haven't yeah. seen him perform around the area before. Uh, so it was great to get the the opportunity to to catch him. Yeah, that's what he said. It's really nice to be able to perform in front of a full house, right? Because usually he's in a bar. I know these days in a bar, everybody's talking. Uh, I, I did another podcast recently with a couple of musicians, um, Jesse Weber and Jason Greer. I go, still people just talk all the way through your sets in a bar. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, you get to know the more they're looking at their phones all the whole time. And, oh, yeah, that's really great. <laughs> I, I see a lot of that, right? And I go, ah, that's terrible. Why can't people just watch the but they don't they don't watch the band? But at the registry theater, it's a black box theater. So it's more of a performance. It's it is it's kind of a bar. That's why I thought we need to have the bar atmosphere out in the front in the mm -hmm. gallery. And I will design the gallery myself because Lawrence is going, We don't have any paintings in there. And I went, you know what? I've got some t-shirts, I got some badges. Give me some easels and we'll put something together. <laughs> That's what we did. No, I loved all the, the paraphernalia that was up on on the walls and the the stands and stuff that you had set up. It was it was cool to see that. Yeah. Like I my you know my first thought when I went down, I one I wasn't expecting. I haven't been in the theater before, and oh, okay. That's uh, great. so that was the first time for me, and. Uh, just the fact that there was just so many people there, you know, my thought was, oh, I'll just jump in. I'll say hi quick to you and kind of introduce myself in the flesh. And but I'm kind of like, there's no way I'm going to even have time to talk to you. And even worse, I was leaving on vacation the like the yeah. next morning being picked up at 4 a.m. Oh, and I totally still hadn't still hadn't actually finished packing. So um, I'm kind of like, okay, I'm going to just duck out of here without actually saying hi, because I figured there wasn't even going to be a chance to get close to you anyway, because everybody's going to be was, wanting to chat. I got to tell you guys, I was overwhelmed. Now down in the green room, my friend Tracy, um, Tracy Jackson was there and she was sitting in the front row and she was double masked with dark shades and she was all in black. So a lot of people were like, was Tracy there? And I go, yeah, Tracy was in the front row. So she's downstairs in the green room and she goes, hey, Squeak, because she still calls me Squeak all these years later. <laughs> you want some wine? I went, no. I couldn't drink anything. I was a mess. I wasn't, um, I was overwhelmed. I wasn't expecting this kind of turnout. I'm like, oh my God. And I, I and then, and uh Tracy goes, and Allison, my friend that helped me put on this show, I couldn't have done it without Allison. She goes, you better get your signing arm ready. I went, what? She was, you got a long line of people waiting to get your book signed. I went, oh my God. So yeah. I didn't drink any, I didn't drink, I didn't have anything from the bar. I didn't have anything to eat. 
I had half a piece of pizza downstairs and that was it because I was so freaked out. Like, oh, oh, my God. But um, yeah, that kind of speaks to you've got such a long history of being a journalist and being involved in in arts and media in well this region and and other areas as well so that kind of speaks to that people were ready to hear what you had to say that's um pretty exciting yeah i was excited about that i've done shows at the registry before like i worked with nasa slash one of the first when the registry opened in the early 2000s one of the shows we did was nasferatu nasa slash because nash came to town he goes i want to do like I want to do some shows. I don't know where to do it. So we were, you know, going all around town. We did one show at Abstract. It was okay. But then I went, Nash, I thought of doing a show in a theater. You're very theatrical. Maybe we can do something at the registry. So we met Lawrence and he went, oh yeah, let's do this. Nash walks up the stairs and he goes, oh my God, I found my, this is home. So when we did Nasferatu, I've seen the theater sold out before. And Nasferatu was like that. It's like we had 175 people there. It was crazy. Wow. And then I learned that day how musicians make money. He made he made $300 in one hour on the merch table. I mean, this is how musicians make money. It's off yeah. the merch. And that was years ago. Um, so, I, and I've done shows there. I've acted in shows there. So I know that space really well. I thought I know the I know the stage I know how it works. We need right. to have the you know, and it, it was really cool the way it all came together. And I hadn't produced a show there or co-produced a show there for a long time, so that's why I thought book launch, meh, book show. <laughs> nice. Book no, happened. it uh, it 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 was a great spot to have it. Like I've only been in the area for the last twenty years. I okay. grew up in Guelph. And so, you know, we had like the trashateria to go yeah. catch the, the punk acts. And yeah. uh, then also at the university, there was a space, the UC 103, where all the acts would, would come through from, from Ontario primarily. And, um, but outside in this area, I just wasn't sure where music was happening. The registry is 20 years old this year. So they do everything. They do jazz, they do folk, they do theater. Um, and it's a really great black box space. Mm-hmm. And the sound is amazing. I there was only one guy I wanted to do for sound. It was Trevor. So I was at a, I was at an event, the Edelweiss for November with um, Brian and the guys, Brian, Charles, Peter, who does this, he's been doing this fundraiser for a long time. And Trevor was doing sound. I go, Trevor, I'm doing this. I'm doing this show at the registry. I need a sound guy. You in? He goes, yep, totally. And he knows the room. Right. Beautiful. Uh, there's a very rich sound in there that um, and it, it's comfortable, too. That's the other thing. And they set it up. Yeah. Sometimes they have a cabaret thing happening. Um, so it's a cool place. And now other bands, instead of playing bars, they're doing the registry theater. So you got Ben Rolo coming up like next weekend. I swear to God, that'll be sold out. Um, we got a, a bunch of, uh, I know there's some other bands that are going to be playing there as well. They're like, well, let's go to the registry instead of maybe, you know, so it's more of a performance rather than a bar. Um, so, and Lawrence just loves it. So it's a, it's a great venue and I'm so glad it's still around because it's, it, you know, it, it's done so well. Yeah. It's funny how a venue can dictate sort of the vibe and the attitude of sort of the entire show, right? Whether yeah, you're going to be simply background music or you're going to be the focus of people's like attention. Like I, you so. know, I miss the starlight and, um, me too. I, and I, I don't know what's going on with the boathouse. 
the museum nobody has, does yeah well you know it's kind of like people are calling me going what's going on with the boathouse i mean you don't know how the hell what i know anyway so i'm you know i'm sitting back waiting to because i've been covering music for such a long time sitting back waiting to see what's going to happen with that um and then the museum is doing dtk live which is the we did a ckwr did an 80s 90s dance there packed and we had um the guy from abstract as our dj it's a great space so now um downtown kitchener bia and the museum and good company productions are working together so danny michelle just did a sold out show they got a juno they got a juno nominee playing this week and uh, and then you got begonia coming in and she's an amazing artist and that's almost sold out i think that is a cool space for live music. It's bringing people downtown. They go to the they go to a restaurant to eat first, and then they go over there. It's from seven till nine, so it doesn't end late, and it's during the week. It's on Thursday nights, and I know that there's plans for the lounge upstairs with the Voodoo Lounge during um, Unzipped. It's there's plans with that too for live music in the in the near future. See that so time there, slot is yeah. perfect for me. Yeah, there are. I, some I can't stay venues. up too late anymore. There are a lot of venues that close, but when one door closes, usually someone opens another one. So I'm, you know, I'm sitting back waiting to see what's going to happen next. I'm always doing that. So we'll see. that was it's one reason I was curious to have you on as well, too, because of the fact that you're so linked in with the music scene about what was currently happening and what was coming up. Well, yeah. what's in the wings so that uh you know it's it's great that these other musical venues are starting to open up well it yeah. sounds like they're opening in a, it's a different way like i missed the starlight too because it had such a unique vibe to yeah. it like it wasn't a huge club it was um i don't know it just had like an old school type well of it did it, it used to be a ballroom dance studio i had a parking right. floor i wrote about it um when i was writing for the chronicle and i Remember writing about their 25th Bernard and Josh. Oh, it's your 25th anniversary. Where did the starlight come from? Well, it was a it was a ballroom, it was a ballroom dance studio. Yeah. So we'll see. Like I, you know, um, that's a cool venue. It's just sitting there waiting for the right person to take it over. So don't, don't, um, don't close the door on that yet. That something might happen. Like, who knows, right? Jane Bond is still around. That's an awesome, cool mm -hmm. place. Like they have brought, like Bernard's brought in some of the coolest bands there. Um, that's kind of, if I was going to say the back door, you know, these days, it, even though it's not a basement bar, um, what Josh is, what um, Bernard is doing there with the, with the DJs and the, the artists that he brings in, that's a little bit more, that's closer to the scene that what the back door was doing. I can't find anything else in town that is like that. Maybe the Sugar Run, because it's an underground venue. I've only been there once. I've been there during a like a music night, but they're bringing in some cool artists as well. So those two venues, because they're small and intimate and kind of cool, and they're yeah. not not so, everybody. It's not everybody's cup of tea. Like the back door, like a lot of people went to the back door because they didn't fit anywhere else. I want to be with a crowd that's that's into the Clash and into this stuff. And and back then. The people that were into that music, they were targeted by other people in the community that thought they were, you know, uh, punk rocks, faggots, this, that. And it's like, yeah, exactly. We're all misfits. We're all the land of misfit toys, and we all fit and downstairs. Yeah, just a just a place to come together. What's the demographic you're finding that are coming out to these shows at the museum? Um, 
Like I just, Sorry. I wonder, I, I had a fascinating conversation with Betty Ann when she was on. I love talking about, uh, well, the underlying, the underlying question, I have it written down to ask you to, is KW a fun place to live? That's sort of the overall <laughs> underlying thing. Well, and it's a question that since talking to Betty Ann, I have asked so many people about this because I feel that the people that maybe are in charge of the direction of the city never ask themselves that question. No, I and, think the people, we, we made our own fun. We right. created our own scene. We didn't listen to it. We just kind of went, okay. And Milan was really smart because he let us do what we wanted. He's like, okay, well, yeah. disco's gone. So everybody, like Kevin and all these guys, the record stores, Kevin Diebolt from Records on Wheels, John Jeffros from Records on Wheels in Cambridge was telling Milan, you need to be playing Elvis Costello and Talking Heads and have a different DJ every night. And that's what we did. We, we created our own scene. We weren't really... You know, and we were downtown. We weren't car centric like the Coronet or uh, Barton's Inn or the Blue Moon or mm -hmm. whatever else was going on in town. We were a lot of people from the streets would kind of walk in going, what the hell is this place? And if you didn't know how to get in, you if you knew you, you were going to find it, you were part of it. A lot of people said in the book, you're a part of an exclusive club. I went, well, <laughs> yeah, I guess. But I love what Greg Dietrich said. He goes, you're we're the land. Like we're the land of the misfit toys, right? From from um, Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. These are people yeah. that didn't fit anywhere else. That you know, it's like I don't like I don't know where to I don't know where to go. And we found we all we all became a sort of a community down there. And there were artists, and photographers, and writers, and a lot of musicians. Um, and John Tott from the Princess Cinema used to go down there and. He was talking to friends of his down at the bar about, I want to open an arts house cinema in Waterloo. And they're going, yeah, yeah, you should go for it. And then the one day he came upstairs and he used to come upstairs and chat with me and have a schnitzel burger and a beer. And he's going, I'm going to open this arts house cinema in Waterloo. And I said, yeah, you should go for it. Cause we only, we have the bookshelf in Guelph. Mm -hmm. We have the Gorge cinema in Aurora. We have nothing here. You should do this. So in 1985, he opened the Princess Cinemas. And um, I was doing Coral FM on CKWR. And I was the first person to ever write about the Princess Cinemas. And there's like a little, and I didn't even know this until a couple of years ago. At the bottom of the stairs, the Princess Original, there's a frame, little framed article. And it's the article I wrote about the Princess for, I think it was either Spare Time magazine. It was a monthly, um, monthly magazine that came out of Guelph through Media C or passion magazine but i was the first person to ever write about the prince of cinema and we have been linked ever since that's pretty, pretty cool. cool and it all started like john goes don't forget i used to go down to the back door i'm going what and then patrick <laughs> patrick why had a picture of john when he was younger a, po a movie poster picture of john todd and i went this is awesome you know and then bands <laughs> like the great um gary lima from the dice they they're playing down there and they, yeah. they had a deal um with they were hanging around with stacy hayden who worked with david bowie and um kim kelly and they, they, had a, they were connected to the uh, capital records rolling stones polydor and gary was saying you know we never could have done anything like this if we hadn't have been downstairs first and boosted our confidence and thinking we're young kids and we could change the world right um but it it gave you a kind of um it encouraged you to, to be yourself. I, I, I'm talking about DIY, like do it yourself. And so we all did that. 
I didn't care. Like I, I just thought, okay, I'm going to play the music. I'm going to address as so-and-so. And I'm the only female DJ down here. And these guys are all from record stores. So I would go first, I go to records on wheels. And then when Encore opened in 1981, we were 1982, we were a Beatles bar called the Cavern. So I would go in there and buy all these rare titles like the Who and the, all this Beatles stuff. And I had like 65 Beatle and Beatle related albums, which I still I have all I have 4,000 uh, albums. Where <laughs> I, do I'm you just, keep 4,000 albums? Uh, they're in my office. And today I'm just going, I have all these cassettes on one wall. And my friend came over recently. And she said, you know, your CDs would fit in this cassette shelf. I went, oh yeah, we're going to switch the cassettes for the CDs because honest to God, guys, I need to find Elvis Costello painted from memory because Burt Bacharach just passed away. And that was one of their yeah. best collaborations that I ever heard was those two. Do you think I could find it anywhere? No, no, because my CDs are all over the place. There was a point in the book and I, I forget kind of what it was specifically referenced to, but the fact that you, uh, I don't know if it was you or a friend was uh, listening to something that was playing and realizing this DJ is playing a tape right now. Oh, and the Pete fact Bell. that, uh, yeah, it came from Pete. Um, Pete. And uh, so the fact that, you know, like he had to have bought it at this particular concert because that oh, yeah. is the only place that you could actually get this. And the the fact that, that's what he was spinning was a tape. Yeah, that was um, the backdoor part too. So that was Daryl Purdy. Yeah. Um, who was in a band called the Bell Jar and Jacqueline Bruner, who was at CKMS. And then she went to Phil's, the first female DJ at Phil's, first female DJ in town besides me, I think. And um, and then she took off to Toronto and, you know, worked at Bovine and worked at all these really cool places. And yeah, that's they were probably getting cassettes from their pals and bands. And yeah. bringing them downstairs and Jackie's going, well, you know, people just get pissed off at us because we just play one side of one cassette because we didn't really care. And I thought that was pretty funny. But yeah, they had a, <laughs> they when they took the, when they took over the bar, they brought the back door to a whole new level. And then I found people like Walter from Sturm Group and John Bora from friggin Neon Rome, who actually I'm going to be talking to sometime soon as a guest. Um, oh, awesome. Um, and. And these guys, and they don't, and they don't remember it. Like some of them don't remember it as the back door. They remember the schnitzel house. They remember the food. Like uh, Aiden <laughs> Maggot fodder in Guelph. He goes, well, Milan gave us free food. And Milan's going, I did what now? I go, yeah, you really liked our music. So you let them come up on Saturday afternoons and they could eat whatever they wanted off the menu. I did. did I went, yeah, I did. <laughs> My, I must have really liked them then because Milan wasn't crazy about, he wasn't crazy about giving food. away free food. He liked it when the bar was exciting and whatever was down there was bringing in business. For him, it was all about entertaining and business. Didn't matter if it was disco or punk or the Beatles or whatever, so long as the bar was busy. If the bar wasn't busy, then he would be like, okay, you guys, like, come on, what's going on here? And when it was a jazz bar, it had a whole other vibe entirely. So, you know, the the Metro, the, the back door, everybody knows it was the back door, but it had so many different incarnations. Mm -hmm. I like. I call it a chameleon phoenix. I love the fact that he had the foresight to actually sit down and realize things are changing. Yeah. And what are we going to do about it? And then he'd uh, bring together the people that that he appreciated and kind of knew the trends that were happening 
and the well, fact that you guys of... were able to reincarnate the bar into something totally new, whatever it might be any given time. He would get, you know, after the first back door, we had a flood in 1981 and Milan goes, that's it. I had enough of these assholes, right? Because he yeah. got into fights with them. He's pretty hardcore. So he got into fights with them. And was like, you know, I'm sick of this shit. So he goes, and, and, and that's why it became the cavern because the washrooms, he goes, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm sick of this. It's too much hassle. It's not enough money. We're going to turn it into the cavern, which was pretty successful for a while, but you can only play 60s music for so long. And then people will come downstairs saying, can you play Simple Minds? And then Kevin, Kevin Diebold would go, okay, let's do a 60s, 80s things. Let's, let's do the doors and let's play the stranglers, right? Because there's a real link there. I think it was always 60s, 80s, 70s, 90s. That's what mm -hmm. I always thought. So we started doing that. And then and it just kind of crept back in again. So it's like, okay, we had to close the cavern because of that. And then it went back into a disco again called Mannequins, which is, anyway. Uh, but Land <laughs> just kind of went, okay, he wasn't always around because he was working upstairs during the day. They had long hours, right? Um, so he would say, okay, you take over the bar and do with it, make it what you want it to be, right? The, he grew up in Czechoslovakia during the communist regime, and they weren't allowed to listen to the Beatles or Elvis. So Milan just figured, okay, I'm going to make this into the cavern because I, you know, he loved Elvis, but he loved the Beatles too. And he goes, I'm going to make it into the cavern. And um, because then I, you know, it's kind of a, I think it was kind of a tribute to his, to his um, childhood in a way. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of cool. So he, he, he was, he was more involved with the cavern actually at one point. Then when it became mannequins, it was run by this English woman named Tina. So he said, okay, you take over so long as I'm getting my rent and the money's coming in. I don't care, right? And then it became the back door again, and Jackie and Daryl, and you run the bar. Because at this point, Milan and, and his wife, Carla, their, their daughter, Katrina, was in skating. And then she switched to freestyle skiing, and she became an Olympia, Olympic skier. So they were on the road all the time. They weren't always around. So it's like run the bar and, uh, you know, if I, he would only get involved if some, something was wrong. Like there was a huge flood and we had to close the bar once again, that kind of stuff. But he was smart enough to let people run the bar that knew what they were doing. That's awesome. So Coral, what, where, just getting back, I wanted to just talk about, you mentioned all these uh, other clubs have come up and I know that the, the back door was a unique situation, uh, never to be repeated because of the cast of characters that made that bar up. Yeah, um, but where do you think we are today? Like, I know my sons are older. Uh, they yeah. older than I mean, like they're not fifteen; they're twenty. But they go down. They talk about going to the drink and prohibition, like some of these places that are. Yeah, you know, but I don't know that those places are music centric. They might have DJs. They certainly so. don't have live music. Yeah. Um, so when I hear you talk about like the museum, uh, the Starlight, to me was traditionally our age group, maybe a decade younger. Yeah. Um, you know, so I kind of feel like I, I, I'm i just wondering where we're at. You know, how do we get younger people? Are they motivated to listen to live music? Uh, Betty and Betty Ann and I went down this road about, you know, how Napster yeah. started the whole thing. She brought it up in her documentary. Yeah. And, you know, and at the at the core of these things exist, if there's at, at the core of it, if there's got to be a financial like the, the back door goes away if people aren't funding it. Right. If the, and if, yeah. and if they're destroying it, then of course the the profit margin goes, it, it's gone. So I'm concerned. I really want live music to be a big part of KW. Like it always has been. 
And you were a yeah. part of you were a part of exposing that with this book of saying, look, look where we've come from. Look what's been here before. Betty Ann's documentary was a big part of that. Um, so my question now is I'm just trying to on this little my my own personal, very quiet crusade is to get <laughs> people to like say, hey, guys, where are we going? Where are we going with this? Because well, if we can't convince young people, like, are we the only generation that's still hanging on to like Laurel Canyon, special time in, in history? Yeah, he was talking about the festivals. So a lot of kids, like a lot of, I've noticed that like, you know, it was a huge um, culturally, we're very culturally diverse here. Right. So during Oktoberfest, I saw a lot of different cultures of people come out because they like, what is this? We've never experienced this before. Same with the blues festival and that kind of stuff. Also the multicultural festival, you get all kinds of people there, you get all kinds of music there. And I think that's how people get exposed to different types of music. Um, you can create the scene. So, you know, the one night it was talking heads night and I had three heads. So it's word of mouth, I think. Um, right. So I don't think it, I don't think it matters what night of the week it is. If there's a scene happening, I think people come out and see it. I, and I think it's all ages. Like I know, I know younger, you know, younger people will come out and see stuff. BWR or CKMS used to be piped into the, you know, student living, the, the campus center or whatever it's called the university of Waterloo. Now, now that's, the students don't care. Like um, they're all on their phones or whatever. So I, yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's kind of a weird question, but I think if you create a scene, they will come. Okay. So, no, fair enough. I, I agree. And I think we should maybe all of us sit down and figure out how do we continue to create this scene? That's a good, that's a good observation. So excellent. Coral, if you listen to uh, Betty Ann's show or any of our other shows, you'll know that we wrap up by, uh, putting you through the ringer on um, <laughs> Andrew's lightning round. Yeah. So we actually give you the answers to this. This don't, you don't have to panic. So we'll, we'll give you like shoes or boots is always my pop, my popular <laughs> example. Oh, okay. that you pick Which one it's an entirely unscientific way of getting to know you. Um, okay. And, and Andrew always comes up with, I, I help a little bit, but Andrew's awesome at this. So Andrew fire away. Okay. Here goes the our rapid fire round CD or record. Oh, damn. That's hard. <laughs> We've stumped I her know. Already. First question First out one. of the gate. <laughs> Laurel, you can do it. You can do it. Oh, shit. Record. I got a bloody All turntable right. behind me. Can you see? <laughs> right I mean, it's oh, a right. record. Yeah, this, record. Wo this woman did talk about a cassette collection. For, for Again, for anybody listening that's under First 30, cassettes format. are these little things. You know? Yeah. I love a good cassette. I know. I know. Um, Death of the mixtape. Interview with Lena Lovich once, and the um, tape snapped, and it was hell to put it back together again. So. I, I wouldn't even know how to do that. Yeah, well, you get a pencil <laughs> and go. Well, I'll show you. <laughs> Hard. Nice. Okay, big screen theater or TV at home? Big screen theater. Large concert hall or hotel bar? Mm, hotel bar. Sitcoms or soap operas? Sitcoms. Sparkling water or margarita? Sparkling water. Magazine or online? Magazine. <laughs> A lady <laughs> after my own heart. Yeah, yeah. I write for magazines. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's go. got to be magazine. There is a tactile something to, about reading, right? There's something tactile yeah. about reading. Yeah, I don't like, you know, I'm... I'm I don't like reading a book on screen. It's not the same. And yeah. people are saying, you're going to put your book online. I went, 
eventually. <laughs> Not yet. Yeah. Coral, I just want to make sure you're you're comfortable because I've I've just realized that every time we go into the lightning round that Andrew develops some sort of one nine hundred voice. I don't know why. It's like a Pete Fowler <laughs> drops a couple octaves. Oh, I'm used to it. Okay. All right. Just want to make sure we're we're good. Classical or pop. <laughs> you did that oh. one on purpose. Get out uh, of here. Yes. <laughs> Classical. Definitely. Misfits or Depeche Mode? Oh God, misfits. <laughs> <laughs> Pink and spiked or buzzed in blue? Pink and spiked. Doc Martens or Kodiaks? Our final Doc question. Doc Martens. I still have my original ones. <laughs> ah, yes. <laughs> and that has been another episode of Backstage Lowdown. Thanks, Coral. Uh, <laughs> that was awesome. I appreciate Thank you coming you. out. I was so happy that Pete put us together. <laughs> yeah.